Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Pedro Rosa, welcome to the Center of the Universe. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate you guys having me. Now, I, I, you and I just met today. I don't know you. Where, where would you say you're from? That is a great question, and that's, uh, you know, when, when recruits come in and the parents ask me that, I, I've been all over the place. I've actually been here in Ashland longer than I've been any other place. So I was born in Spain, hmm. uh, moved to England for two years when I was uh, four years old, uh, moved to Mexico after that. Uh, when I was seven years old, my dad passed away, hmm. and so we moved to Miami, Florida. I moved in with an uncle in Miami, Florida. It was my mother. And uh, myself and three brothers. So I was the oldest of uh, four boys. Another brother came along a little bit later. Uh, so I was the oldest of five boys. <clears throat> so grew up, grew up in Miami and uh, spent most of my childhood there, second grade until the uh, eighth grade. And in the eighth grade, we moved to a town west of West Palm Beach, Loxahatchee, and uh, went to high school in West Palm Beach, uh, left, left West Palm Beach and went to Wheaton College where I, I Went to school and played football for four years. And then uh, we moved down to uh, Nashville, Tennessee area. Mm. I coached at Battleground Academy for a couple of years. I was a football coach, uh, wrestling coach, and a baseball coach. Taught English. And uh, then I, I left there, went to Butler University in Indianapolis, and uh, got my master's degree there in English and also coached. And then I went to Washington University in St. Louis for five years and uh, – then got hired here in 2004 when I was 30 years old. So head coach, really head coaching gig. Yes, wow. at 30. Yep. What, <laughs> what was it about you that attracted Randolph Macon to offer you a head coaching job? I, I don't know. To be honest with you, it was it was really interesting because I, I think that they brought three guys in, and in retrospect, I was probably the least qualified of the three. And there's a lot of stories that, that go into this, right? But uh, I think one of the candidates was an internal candidate. It was their offensive coordinator. And I think the players really wanted him to be the head coach. Uh, the other candidate was somebody that had uh, deep ties to Richmond. Dad had been a high school coach in the area. He had been the uh, offensive coordinator at, at uh, West Point. He had been a Division II head coach. Uh, in fact, I had listened to him speak at a clinic in Missouri when I was the defensive coordinator at Washington University. And he had actually been at the University of Richmond, so had, had a lot of roots here in, in Richmond and was really way more qualified than I was. And uh, I came in, and, you know, I, I'm really not sure what happened. But, you knocked uh, their socks think, off. Uh, That's what happened. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you, something must have happened. Maybe those guys turned it down. I, I don't know the whole story <laughs> behind it. But, uh, you know, it was interesting because I, I didn't know anybody out here when I interviewed. And, in fact, when I set my resume, um, you know, my wife and I had looked at different you know, head coaching opportunities. And one of the things that we had decided is we're not just going to go anywhere. You know, if we're going to go somewhere, it's got to be somewhere where we can be for at least five, six, seven years. And so when we looked at, the, you know, we had looked at several other jobs and most of them we looked at and said, this is not the t sort of place where we're going to be for longer than a year or two. And I, I didn't want to move my family around that much. You know, as a coach, you move around quite a bit. And so, you know, when I saw this, opening you know i looked at the looked at the map and, and looked at the town of ashland and i thought yeah that might be a, a decent spot i knew that the conference was a good conference 
I knew Randolph Macon had a, a good tradition. I didn't know what kind of a tradition it, it had in, you know, in great depth because at that point the internet, you know, while it was a thing, didn't have nearly the information that that it has right now. So I knew a little bit about the college. I knew it was a good school academically. I uh, knew they had a decent tradition that was based on some of the people that I talked to about Randolph-Macon. But uh, it looked like a place that, you know, at least intrigued me. And so I came out here for the interview. And yeah, I remember sitting in the dean's office and he said, he said, why do you want this job? And I said, well, I don't know that I do. I said, that's what I'm here to to find out. Yeah, I'm interviewing you. Well, you know, I, I just wanted to see if it was going to be a good fit, you know. And I think that at that point they needed somebody to come in and, and shake things up, up a little bit. And I think they wanted somebody who was going to be a disciplinarian. And, you know, it was interesting. When I, when I came out here for the interview, I had interviewed, uh, done a mock interview with our athletic director of Washington University, a guy by the name of John Shale. And uh, so I went in there and, you know, we did this mock interview and he looked at me and he said, if you answer these questions like that when you go out there, they're not going to hire you. And I said, well, this is who I am. I, I said, I have to be who I am. And so I came in and, and uh, that, that's how it kind of unfolded. So think back to that interview, right? So did they ask you a question around what's your 60-day plan, your 90-day plan when you come in? And if they didn't, or if they did, what, what as a football coach is a first 90 days look like with you as the head coach? I don't know that they asked me as much about a 90-day plan, but I, I had been pretty thorough in my preparation for the interview. I had a, a tremendous mentor at uh, Wheaton College with uh, J.R. Bishop, and he had been my head coach at, at Wheaton and uh, had another really gr great mentor in uh, Mike Swider, who was the defensive coordinator and the guy that took over for Coach Bishop when Coach Bishop retired my senior year. And, you know, really good friends with another guy named Chris Creighton, who is the head coach at Eastern Michigan now, and we're still great friends. And, you know, he had built programs at a lot of different places. He had been at the NAI le NAIA level at uh, Ottawa University in Kansas and then got the job at Wabash in Indiana. That was a Division three job and did a great job there. And he got hired at Drake in, uh, in Iowa. Now he's at Eastern Michigan. But he and I talked extensively about the interview process and you know, I, I think I was very, very prepared, you know, from the standpoint that, you know, I had some great mentors that were able to sit me down and say, okay, here, what's the plan for recruiting? What's the plan for dealing with alumni? What's the plan, yeah. you know, for dealing with discipline? And so as far as a 60-day plan, I, I don't know that I had a 60-day plan, but I definitely had thought through a lot of different things. Sounds and I think the most important thing was, you know, when I talked to Coach Swider about the interview, he said, just be yourself, you know, and I remember calling him from the airport and I said, this was after the interview. I mean, it was a long interview. I got here on a Wednesday night, interviewed all day Thursday and interviewed, you know, most of the day on uh, on Friday before I went home to, to St. Louis. And I remember calling Coach Swider because he was a, a guy that was, you know, and, and still is pretty instrumental in my life. And I said, I don't know how the interview went, <clears throat> but I feel really good about the fact that, you know, I, I, I laid it out there. This is who I am and this is how I'm gonna coach and this is how we, you know, we would run the program. And so that part I felt really good about. And a week later, they, they called me and offered me the job. But literally when I sent my resume out here, I, I did not know anybody. Had you ever been to Virginia? I don't think I had ever been to Virginia. Wow. No. That's crazy, right? 
And it is. Here, in fact, the, the, the closest thing I came to a contact out here, there was a guy named Bill McGregor who was the head coach at DeMatha. And I subscribed, we subscribed at Washington University <clears throat> to his uh, recruiting service. It was called the Mars, the, you know, the, like the Mid-Atlantic Report. And so I recruited Maryland. I recruited Virginia. And, you know, Washington University, our average SAT <clears throat> on the football team was like a 1420. Yeah, it's crazy. It's a really good school. It, it's a yeah. great school academically. So the, the, the uh, last couple of years that I was there, I mean, we may have had like two or three kids in both Virginia and Maryland that we were recruiting, just period, from those two states. But Bill was a guy that I had developed a relationship with, and he was one of the first people that I called when I found out that Randolph Macon was interested. And I, I asked Bill, and he said, I think it's got a chance to be a really good job, and I think it's in a really good area, and you know you could you can win there. Why coaching? Well, I think a lot of it comes down to the uh, the impact that the different coaches that I've had in my life you know made on me. Um, I, I didn't tell you this before, but the reason <clears throat> that we moved to Miami when I was seven is my dad uh, killed himself, oh, and uh, so you know moved in with a with an uncle that I had a good relationship with, but, you know, not a very deep relationship with. And so I, I went to school and learned how to speak English in the second grade. And, you know, the, the coaches that I had both in the elementary school and, you know, in the middle school and especially in high school and in college just had an enormous impact on my life. And, you know, I thought, thought a lot about going to law school. That's what my mother wanted me to do. And, you know, I was a good student and so I, I would go home over breaks and my mom would say, you need to go to law school. And, you know, it sounded good, right? You know, people sure. ask you, what are you going to do with your college degree? I'm going to go to law school. But I knew deep in my heart that, you know, I wanted to coach and that I wanted to make an impact on kids. And, you know, I, I didn't want to get to the end of my life and say, you know, what, what have I done? I've made a lot of money or I've been a great attorney. You know, how can I make the biggest difference and the biggest impact in this world? And I thought coaching was the way to, to do that. Were you a de facto dad to your four brothers? Uh, I would say so to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah, to a certain extent. Yeah. Uh, why football? Well, that's a great question. I mean, for me, it was something that I was really drawn to <clears throat> at an early age. Um, you know, I, I always wanted to play football. I was always really intrigued, you know, when I watched, watched TV and you know, watch the college games and watch the NFL games. And it wasn't until the seventh grade that my mother, you know, allowed me to, to play. I, I begged her for years to, to let me play. And finally, in the seventh grade, she relented. And, and what, cha said, what changed for mom? Yeah, I think I was just very persistent. I was really <laughs> persistent. I said, I really want to play football. And that's something that I have a, a passion for. And I mean, it was just something that, you know, I fell in love with right away. I had an unbelievable coach my seventh grade year. It was... Uh, one of the hardest experiences ever in terms of, you know, what, what this guy demanded and, and just how demanding he was and what he expected out of us. <clears throat> but it was, uh, it was life-changing, you know, and it, was a, it, it happened at a very, you know, critical time in my life, time where, you know, I, I was struggling a little bit with the fact that my dad wasn't there and, you know, my mom was struggling with some things as well and, you know, alcohol w was a part of that, drugs were a part of that, and, uh, so I, I really just latched onto this guy. And, you know, I remember this guy pulling me aside after one practice and he, he said, man, I, I think that, you know, you're a really smart kid and you're really tough. He said, I, I think you can go play in the Ivy League someday, mm. you know. And so he kind of planted that, 
that vision in my mind. And, you know, that was really the first coach that I had, you know, other than some guys in, in the elementary school that were really good guys that I felt like I could relate to and talk to. But just the first guy that, that I think planted a vision and, and just really had an impact. You know, I, I've never gone back to, to find Coach LeMay. I moved from Miami. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know what's happened to him. I, I don't know if he's still, you know, alive. But I've thought about it many times. I mean, I, I've got a big, you know, a frame picture on my, uh, on my desk, and it's an article from that, that season. We won the championship, the Miami City Championship, and it was a travel team. And, you know, we started out, I think, with 62 players and ended up with 22 at the end of the year. Mm. And uh, that, that year was just a, a critical year. I mean, it just football, football bug bit me, and I loved it. I mean, it was just it How changed amazing my life. Is that? How amazing is that, that you pestered your mom to play? She finally lets you in seventh grade, and something that impactful to your life happens. When you first start playing football, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I mean, I would say that, you know, people ask me, you know, what, what are the things that have impacted you the most, right? Because obviously, you know, I had a, a, a bit of a tough, tough uh, go at it with, you know, my, my yeah. family situation and some of the things that happened. Two things that have impacted me the most. One is my experience with football. Okay, changed my life. I mean, absolutely changed my life. And then my faith. You know, those are, those are the two things that absolutely changed the trajectory of everything for me. Yeah, uh, wow. football, um, not every kid wants to play football. It's a, it's a tough sport. It's tough. Um, what position did you play? I was, uh, uh, well, <laughs> interestingly enough, my, my first year, you know, it, it was, I was the minority on the team. And I, I joke around with my coaches sometimes. I said it was, you know, me and two other white kids, right? Except the, the three white kids were Julio, Roman, and Pedro, right? <laughs> and, uh, you know, Coach LeMay thought I was not that fast. And, and so I was a nose guard. I what? I number 66. And I was a guard. <clears throat> so I played left guard and nose guard. We played a, uh, a 50 defense. So I always lined up over the uh, an odd front over the center. And then the next year, you know, when I played uh, middle school football, I moved to tailback, became a running back, and, you know, played, played linebacker in high school, played safety. But uh, in college, I was a running back. Wow. Did you start for a couple of years? In college? Or, yeah. I mean, yeah. You, uh, I'm guessing you started in high school since you played in college. I did. I did. Yeah, I, I started all four years at, at Wheaton. And, oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, you were a baller. I don't know about that, but <laughs> <laughs> did you have a thousand yard season? I did, I did. Wow! Do you have look? a Wikipedia page that I don't know about? <laughs> I don't think they uh, did a Wikipedia page on me. I don't think I'm that uh, that esteemed. Uh, so to, to get a thousand yards, you have to be tough. You have to grind, no uh, doubt, and you have to no have doubt. some physical skill, right? Well, yeah. What was your What was your best skill? I think I was just a grinder. I mean, I think I worked really, really hard, and you know, I I, I was very determined and you know I, I i just prided myself on on working really really hard and just uh outworking everybody who do you compare your your running back who do you compare your style to somebody we our listeners or we would know there's like a christian mccaffrey type or are we talking Ooh. earl campbell where you're running people over yeah probably larry zonka does anybody larry zonka? Remember larry oh zonka? i love larry zonka yeah old dolphins uh running back fullback yeah well uh, when my older cousins would run over me in backyard football they would say yeah, Zonka. Would Zonka they yeah. would refer to Larry Zonka yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's good I grew up a Dolphins fan so I, I loved you know Larry Zonka and 
you know, Mercury Morris, <clears throat> Mercury Morris, yeah, and Don Don, Don Shula, Dan Marino. You know, all the all those different guys. Yeah, Dolphins so. were good back then. The Dolphins were good. Yeah, I mean, they. I'm a Chargers fan, so you know, we met a few times in the playoffs. Oh yeah, but, but at the same time, I think you guys should have won way more than you have, and we should have won way more than we have. Yeah. Dolphins, those Marino teams, how yeah. they didn't go further. It's just, I know defense, big, you know, a big part of that, but. Um, yeah, yeah there's no sure. doubt. University of Miami was really good when oh, I was yeah. growing up. I used to go to the Orange Bowl a lot to watch the 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 U the U. That's right. That but, was my team growing up in the '80s. Oh yeah. So you uh, would they win four or five then in the '80s? Yeah, I think Jimmy Johnson won one. Dennis Dennis Erickson won a couple. And, and Schnellenberger, and Schnellenberger, won, Schnellenberger yeah. won one. In, he in was the 80. guy that got it going. Yeah, yeah. Schnellenberger yeah, he did. was the guy he that did. got it going. Oh, the, that was a unique team. Those teams were very yeah, unique. There, there's no doubt. There's <laughs> yeah. no doubt. Unique in a lot of uh, off-the-field ways. A lot too, of I good imagine. and bad ways. No doubt. Oh, man. Studs, though. I did not see you telling me you were a running back. I don't know why. I thought I, I was, thought you were going to say, like, uh, strong safety, something no, like that. Running back. You enjoyed offense more than defense? I just think that, you know, when I, when I got to college, I had to pick one or the other, and I was probably a better running back than I was a, you know, a defensive player. But Zonka ran through people. He did. And, like, I, I'm not going to – you can share how tall you are if you want, but you're not Larry Zonka's size. No, no, no. no. Five, 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 six on a good day. Yeah, and you're, <laughs> and you're running through guys. Yeah, you could say that. <laughs> Was it because you uh, it. got lower than them? I'm not trying to be funny when I say no, that. No, no, I mean, yeah. I think when you're this short, that's, that's what you got to do. That's crazy to yeah. uh, play – start four years. Were that's, you fast? Were you, were you running the 40? It was pretty fast. I mean, I think that consistently a four, six – Oh yeah, which, and that's legitimately a four six. Not right. you know a lot of guys claim that they're, you know, running running four sixes and four fives, but that's impressive. Yeah. They're just taking three tenths of a second off just because they can. <laughs> I think there's a lot of fudging that goes on with those numbers. Yeah. I mean, when I was in high school, I told everybody I ran a four five three, and I I did a couple times. How legitimate that time was, who who knows? Well, how do you time somebody in the forty? Right, because you're you're timing kids all the time, right? We, we don't do as much timing, and we have a, uh, a system that we – a free lap system that we use to time kids. So we don't do as many 40s as we do, like, flying 10s and, mm, okay. you know, 10-yard mm. ten 10 yard dashes. Yeah, because there's a lot of 10-yard yeah. sprints in, on the football field. Yeah. Not, not a lot of 40-yard dashes. Not, not as much. I mean, that's kind of the gold standard, but, you know, I think it's just a metric that they used, they've used for a lot of years, and so I think that's what, what they – So you were an assistant coach for a lot of your career before you came to Randolph-Macon, and you had done a little head coaching at the high school level. I was an assistant at the high school. So your first head coaching gig, you were 30 years old and and got the job at Randolph-Macon. Yes. What did you love about being an assistant coach, and what did you love about being a head coach? And and then what did you dislike about both? Yeah, I think that, you know, I think as an assistant coach, you're, you're shielded a little bit from some of the problems that a head coach has to deal with. I mean, I think as a head coach, you're constantly putting out fires. I think that probably the thing that I enjoy the most about being a head coach is being able to, you know, develop and cast a vision. You know, I think that that's probably my strength, you know, is building cultures and, you know, holding players accountable and, you know, getting guys to buy into the vision. And I think you do that as an assistant coach, but your job as an assistant coach is to really help further the the vision of the head coach. And so it's your vision if you work for a guy that you really believe in, but it's not the same. You know, now as an assistant coach, 
you have a lot of time to really develop relationships with the players. You usually have a smaller group of guys that you're working with. And so you really get to know those guys in a different way, in a very intimate way. And I still think that those relationships are crucial, you know, and, and you can still develop those relationships as a head coach, but it's a little bit different sometimes. You know, you just have, you know, we, we've got 130 guys on the team and it's hard to get to know 130 guys. I mean, you've got to really work at it and you've got a lot of things pulling you in a lot of different directions. And, you know, I was telling somebody uh, this morning, my favorite part about, you know, the football season is you're, you're doing football. You know, you, you get up in the morning, you go in, you game plan, you go into meetings with the players, you go out on the field and you're with the players and nobody can really bother you because they know it's football season and that's what you're, you're focused on. But as soon as the season's over, you know, you're recruiting, which we're recruiting year round. I mean, we're, we're never not recruiting, right? But there's a lot of other things that sort of come into the equation, right? A lot of administrative responsibilities, a lot of uh, meetings. And I can't say that those things are, are really my favorite parts of the job. Yeah. I love, I love being around the players. I think that's, that's really my passion. I love, you know, spending time with the players. I love coaching. I love, uh, yeah, it's one of the reasons that I've, that I've uh, coached at this level for this long because, you know, you get to coach. You know, you get to coach a position. You, you get to coordinate one side of the ball or the other if you choose to do that. You're, you stay involved with the lifting program. You stay involved with the, you know, with the conditioning. You stay involved with division casting. You get to do a lot of different things. You know, I think that when you get to the Division One level, yeah, I've watched a lot of my friends do that, and, you know, you really – you're really more of a CEO. And I don't know that I really have as much of an interest in doing that. Yeah, we had, uh, we had Jay Strath on um, that played at UVA. And he said George Welsh, he was there four years in the mid-90s. He said George Welsh talked to him, what, three times? Two or three times, and he said he's, ba- four years. he's a CEO. Yeah. I mean, and I you're mean, pulled in a lot of directions that you don't necessarily want to be pulled into. Yeah, yeah it's very different at Randolph-Macon. I mean, I, I was in the office today, and I mean, you know, this morning I was – you know, signing letters to the alumni, you know, thanking them for donations. And I had, you know, started out with one guy sitting next to me, helping me to stuff the envelopes. And, you know, then three more guys showed up. And, you know, after the guys got done in the weight room, I had six guys sitting around the table and we were just talking. You know, and in fact, that's who, who I made the comment to. It was one of the players, a kid, great kid that played at uh, Verina. Great, great player, great leader. And I said, this is what I love about you know, coaching is that I get to spend time with you guys, you know, the, the other stuff I can do without that stuff, but this is what, you know, keeps me coming back. And, uh, he's like, yeah, he's like, I don't know too many places where you can just come in and, you know, have six guys sitting around the table with a head coach, just kind of shooting the breeze and talking about different things. And, you know, I was focused on signing the letters, but I was, you know, engaged with the guys and we were talking about different things. You know, we were talking about TV shows that they like and, you know, stories from their boyhood days. And it was awesome. It was a blast. I mean, that, that it just, it's a great way to, great way to spend the morning. Absolutely. So yeah. recruiting for a division three uh, team <clears throat> has to be different than division one. How do you think about recruiting uh, when you're thinking about building a team over time? I, I think it's different than division one, but it's not, you know, I mean, ultimately what you're trying to do, no matter where you coach is you're trying to find a young man that fits your program. Right. And so, the only difference at our level is we can't offer athletic scholarships. You know, our, our aid is still very, very competitive. And, 
you know, you're not, you're not just able to walk into a, a high school or into a, a living room and say, hey, we're offering you a full scholarship. But I think that other than that, it's pretty much the same thing. I mean, you're trying to find guys that are a great fit for your school. You're trying to find guys that are a great fit for your program. And that takes a tremendous amount of work. I mean, you spend, we spend as much, if not more time, than the Division One guys do because we're dealing with a lot more volume. I mean, we're bringing in a bigger class. Uh, we don't have a scholarship limit. You know, our roster is a little bit different than, you know, the Division One rosters in terms of size and how we, you know, put that roster together. Um, I have to deal with a lot more volume in recruiting. You know, where where, you know, a guy like Bronco Mendenhall, you know, might have to make a couple phone calls in a night. I mean, I'm I'm hammering out call after call after call because we're just dealing with a lot more volume. And you know what the reality of it is that you know when the Division One schools come in and offer the kids that we're recruiting scholarships, uh, the Richmonds and the William and Marys and the James Madisons, and then the Division Two schools, I feel I feel pretty good about our ability to go head to head with a lot of the Division Two schools. I think that we've got a great product at Randolph Macon. We offer a great you know education and we offer an incredible athletic experience, a great football experience, but. Uh, you know, I think that it's uh, it's very competitive, and it's hard to find guys that you know fit the mold of what you're looking for. You have a staff yeah. of people that do recruiting, or is it? Oh, or is absolutely it no. We have no. no. We have eight eight coaches on the staff, and you know, we all we all recruit. Yeah, yeah, everybody recruits. I mean, it's it's no different. It's it's on a smaller scale. You know, right. I think probably the biggest difference for us is we don't have the support staff. Right? We don't have. I don't have an administrative assistant that you know, handles my email, handles my, you know, my, my uh, calls. I don't have a, you know, recruiting guy that sits in a room with a team of 10 other guys like they do at Alabama, right. looking at film and splicing that film up so that, you know, I can look at the 10 best plays, or the 10 worst plays on a, on a recruit. So I think it's the support staff that's probably one of the biggest differences. But, I mean, it's the same. Football is football no matter where you go, you know. High school football, college football, you know, Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three—it's—it's it's all the same in my opinion. There's just different nuances that you're dealing with at every level. Yeah. What parts of the country are you recruiting in? So for us, you know, about 65% of our roster comes from Virginia. So <clears throat> mostly from uh, Richmond, Northern Virginia, are the two biggest areas. But we, you know, we'll get a few kids. Probably two kids every year from the Lynchburg, Roanoke area. A couple kids, two or three kids from uh, the Tidewater area, and then a few from you know Fredericksburg or you know different parts of the state. About 25% is from uh, North Carolina, hmm. mostly the Research Triangle, uh, right around the Raleigh-Durham area. Yeah. Uh, Wilmington has become a big area hmm. for us, and uh, you know Johnston County is really a you can almost argue a part of the Research Triangle. It's southeast uh, corner of Raleigh gotten a lot of really good players from there over the years get a lot of kids from uh, Maryland um, we've made it lately a little bit more of a push in central Pennsylvania and then we'll have kids that you know are kind of outliers we have a quarterback from uh, the state of Florida mm. we have a receiver from Massachusetts his cousin played for me mm. so there was a connection there yeah re referral yeah of sorts yeah uh, when you're thinking about the kind of kid you're look, looking for, <clears throat> describe that, that kid. Yeah, I mean, I, that's, that's a tough question to answer, but also an easy question to answer in the sense that, 
you know, I, I, I think that, you know, we just hired four new coaches over the course of the last uh, several months. Um, more Had a little bit more turnover than we normally have. And some of that, I think, was due to COVID and the uncertainty and, you know, everything that's been going on in the country. But uh, so, you know, we had to kind of re-educate. Every year we reinstall our program. You know, our, our coaches are going to, you know, they're, they're on vacation here for a couple of weeks. And look, when they come back in August, we're going to reinstall the program. I mean, here's how we do everything from how we meet as a staff to how we meet with the players to how we install the offense, how we install the defense, how we deal with discipline, how we deal with recruiting, how we deal with everything, right? And we've got a, a <clears throat> coach's manual that I've put together over the years that, you know, we'll go through pretty thoroughly, okay? But, uh, you know, when, when we hired these new coaches, you know, one of the things that I stressed is, look, obviously you got to be able to, to figure out whether somebody is a good enough player to play for us, okay? That, that's not overly complicated. I mean, there's huddle video available on, on the internet. You know, you can see a film on just about anybody in the country on, on the internet, right? And, you know, looking at a transcript is not very complicated. You know, you, you can, every transcript tells a story. You know, wh what kind of a trend did this guy, did this guy start out rough and get better? Has this guy challenged himself? Has he taken the toughest courses? Has he taken the course of least resistance? How, you know, what kind of a guy is this? in the classroom, but I think that if you were to strip the recruiting process down to two things for us, it really comes down to, you know, does this kid love football? Is he passionate about football? And is he a character guy? And that that's it, you know, I mean, to me, and, and I think in, in my opinion, that's how you ought to go about hiring in, in any profession, in yeah. any business, you know? Does this guy love what he does? Because if he doesn't, somebody's gonna get up every morning and and, beat that guy every time yeah you know better what I mean easily yeah. yeah I mean if you get you roll out of bed in the morning and you're ready to roll because you love what you do and you have a passion for it I mean you're you're gonna make it's gonna be hard to you're beat. gonna make things happen you're gonna be tough to beat yeah. you know yeah and you know if you're a character guy I mean listen over the years we've recruited a lot of players that we thought were character guys that didn't pan out that should have been great players for us but they weren't because they didn't do the right things off the field and they weren't as passionate about football as, you know, we thought they were. And that, that's a tough thing. Like, like I said, watching a kid in a camp and evaluating him, hey, this kid can play. He's clearly got the ability to do it. And, you know, evaluating whether or not he's capable as a student, those things are pretty easy. It's the character piece that, you know, you have to start stripping away some layers. And that's not always an easy thing to do. Yeah, especially in the recruiting process. You figure it out once they show up. I think it's hard. I think you asked me where we recruit, and, you know, I think that we have had more success recruiting local kids, and when I say local kids, within a four-hour radius because you get to be around them a lot more. They come, they come on campus in the summer for a summer visit. They come back for a camp. They come back for a, uh, a game day visit. They come back and spend the night with uh, your players, and that's when you really – I think figure out what these guys are about is when they get around your players and they get to spend time around your players, right? Because the players know. Hey, and, they, and they want to play with guys that are like them, right? I think that that's, that's probably the biggest, you know, biggest challenge that we had when I came in is we had very few, very few guys in the program that were really what I would call now culture keepers, right? Or standard bearers, guys that you know, we're all about the things that we want to be about 
in our program. And so it's not unusual for a kid to come in and be a perfect gentleman on a visit and, you know, stay the night with our guys and our guys come to me the next day and say, coach, not a good fit. Yeah. I mean, he's just not, not a Randolph making guy. He's not a Randolph making football player, you know, and it might be the stuff they do off the field might be that the guy's really not into football might be the way that he communicated or talked to the females that he interacted with on campus. I mean, it could be a number of things, you know, but I think you've got to be select. I don't, and I say this a lot. I don't think we, that we recruit as much as we select. Right. And I think that, you know, it's taken us a while to get to that point, but that's what I always remind our coaches of. We're not recruiting. We're selecting. We're trying to figure out who can come here and really make a difference you know, for this program, who can be a great fit for the school because we're recruiting for the school too. And yeah. I think that's important. You got to find guys that are going to be a great fit for the college as well. So easy question, and I'm not going to ask it, but easy question to be, hey, what are some of the best players you've had at Randall Megan? And we can ask that. We can talk about that. Sure. But what, what players, tell me names if you want, up to you, do you consider that were underdogs that turned into something like they, they barely this is your Rudy question it, it kind of yeah kind of like anything stand anybody stand out yeah I mean I think one guy that stands out and it's a guy I talk about a lot <clears throat> is a guy that we had a couple of years ago Eric Hoy but he embodies everything that we're talking about here Eric came in uh was about my height you know lo- looks a lot like I do you know short you know stocky handsome stocky man guy. very handsome very <laughs> handsome <laughs> And, uh, you know, Eric's high school film was really, really tough to evaluate. He was a wildcat quarterback. We knew that at 5'5", five, 5'6", five, five, he was not going to be a quarterback in college. Now, Eric would tell you he's taller than that, and he might be. But um, knew he wasn't going to be a, a college quarterback, right? He just, you know, wasn't cut out to play that position. But we weren't really sure. Is he a running back? Is he a, a wide receiver? What, what's he going to play for us? But I know that when he came in on his visit, you know, I, I, I loved him. I mean, he was just, you know, dynamic and, and just had an, an incredible charisma. And you could tell that he was a special kid. And he came in and, you know, we, we still, on the first day of camp, didn't really know what we were going to do with him. Is he going to be a running back? Is he going to be a receiver? He put him at slot receiver. And he ended up being – kind of a Swiss army knife of sorts. He played slot receiver. He played, he was our jet sweep guy. He, he was a, a running back. He was a wildcat quarterback. I mean, he was, he was awesome. He did a lot of different things for us, yeah. but that's one guy that stands out. But I use him as an example because he was a kid that from a character standpoint just stood out. You know, he worked harder than anybody else, uh, was a great teammate, wasn't, wasn't an ego guy. You know, in a negative, I think you, everybody's got to have an ego to be good, right? But he wasn't a guy that, you know, was motivated by, by individual honors or individual recognition. Yeah. But and I've had a lot of guys like that over the years, you yeah. know? I mean, I had a quarterback in, uh, in 2000, I guess, Austin Faulkner played for me in, in 07, 08, 09, and, and 10. And he was a kid that, you know, once again, I, I told him he couldn't play quarterback when he came because I didn't think that his high school film, which was not, you know, very good, and the, quali- the quality wasn't very good, and he was a wing-T quarterback, and he just didn't have a lot of, you know, film, good film. And so I told him, I said, you can come, but you got to be a safety. Because I thought he was a good enough player to help us. I just didn't think he could do it at quarterback. But, 
he was determined to be a quarterback and again was another guy that had you know tremendous character and yeah it's just what I've seen over the years he won you over then I guess he did he did I mean (laughs) you know he he was a kid that uh you know like many of these kids that I've had at Randolph making over the years just you know the character the character won out you know that's awesome that's the that's the common thread in all of these guys you know when you when you ask me about the guys that have overachieved you know it's always because of their character when you ask me about the guys that you know man couldn't that guy have been better he could have but there was just something that wasn't something that wasn't clicking yeah you know what i mean it's usually a choice they can choose to work really hard or they can choose not to it's a choice it's definitely a choice and i think that as i say often to these guys there's always something when a guy comes into my office and there's you know a guy on our team that I was talking to about this the other day when a guy comes into my office and says I want to be really really good I want to be really really good and there's something not quite clicking it's usually because there's something that he doesn't want to give up Mm. you know what I mean and that's that's human nature and I think that's how we all are isn't it like you know, you want to be a great husband, but there's something you don't want to give up, right? You want to be a great dad, but there's something that, you know, you don't want to give up. You want to have a great relationship with God and your faith, and but there's something that you're just, you know, not willing to give up. Yeah. And it's the same thing with football, you know? Yeah. I, I, wow. Yeah, on a lighter note, I had a, you know, I had a coach in, in college who was an awesome, awesome guy, and but he was very, very overweight. And we had a, uh, a guy on our team that went to medical school um, and, uh, you know, came back to, to Wheaton to, to visit. And he was telling me a story. He said the coach walked into the office and, and said to Todd, he said, hey, he said, I need to lose weight. He said, and I'm willing to do anything. He said, just don't tell me to change my diet. <laughs> and unfortunately, I mean, that's, that's how a lot of us think and how a lot of us are, are wired. You know, there's just, there are things that, you know, we cling to and don't, don't want to give up. And that's been kind of the common thread with a lot of the guys that just haven't been as good as they, they should have been and, and could have been. Can't change your diet. Well, son, we're going to have to cut your arms off. No, That's no the doubt. only way Crazy. this is going to work. Well, Crazy. Yeah, yeah, there's no workout on earth that gets you to <laughs> right. The, the right weight. I mean, yeah. it's mostly about uh, the food you select and, and calorie intake. It's the human ele- element, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, that's what you're battling every day, and that's what you battle when you get out of bed in the morning, and, you know, you don't feel like working at a certain level. I mean, how many guys roll out of bed like every single morning? Just ready to kill it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that doesn't happen. Yeah. Right? S- super so rare. What's the difference between the guys that find a way to do that and find a way to get motivated and the guys that, you know, can't can't do that? Yeah. You know? I mean. Uh, are you old enough to remember the Dolphins when their perfect season? That was two years before I was born. Yeah. I was born in uh, 74. Okay. But I know about that team, Gary, you're probably in. And that team was amazing. Because was. they still pop corks every year yeah. <laughs> when the first team or the last undefeated team loses. Yeah. Yeah. I knew about a lot of those players for sure. Yeah. Uh, summer camp for uh, you guys. Uh, describe it from your perspective and then describe it from what you think your players <laughs> are experiencing. When we, when we report in August, I mean, I, look, I think the one thing that it, it's demanding. 
I mean, there's no question it's demanding. I think that one of the things that we have done over the years, you know, you, you adapt to the game, you adapt to the way things are. And I, I think that we have gone from taking an approach where I think we probably did too much with our players to, you know, taking an approach that's a little bit more scientific and a little bit more uh, focused on keeping guys healthy. And so, you know, we, we do not have very long practices. We, uh, you know, a long, I mean, a really long practice for us is a two-hour practice. You know, I, I've never believed in, you know, having super long practices. And so I, I'd say that the part of it that's tough Physically, it's demanding, right? But what's more more challenging is you're doing football from the time that you get up at six o'clock in the morning until the time you go to bed at ten or ten thirty or eleven o'clock. Those are long days. For everybody. Long days, and you're going. You know, you go to breakfast. You go get taped. You go to a team meeting. You go out to practice. You come in. You know, you get in the pool. You go to lunch. You go to treatment. You know, you might have an hour. I was just working on our preseason schedule, you know, this uh, afternoon, as a matter of fact, just finalizing some things. But you get an hour to maybe go and lay down in your room, then you're back in meetings. And we're reviewing the practice from that morning. Okay? Um, and before we do that, you know, we're, we're going over, you know, philosophy. We're going over situations. We're going over core values that's something that we do at the beginning of every single meeting as we talk about program vision core values i mean it's something that we start out with but so from from three o'clock to five o'clock they're in meetings okay or actually two thirty to four thirty give them about a half an hour break to go get in the pool go get get some ice we're in, at dinner from five to six we're right back out on the field for a walkthrough and you know then we're back in the meeting room to install for the next day, okay? Then they're spending an hour in the training room doing recovery, that's from eight to nine, and then from nine to 10, they're meeting with their platoons and doing team building activities. That's a day, and you're doing that day after day after day after day. It's not the physical part that's, you know, demanding, it's, it's the mental. mental and it's staying part. focused. Staying focused, Yeah. you know? Wow. And to talk about, I've heard, I've heard this before from, from guys that, that are uh, Navy SEALs, you know, and, and you ask those guys, who are the guys that don't make it? It's the guys that keep thinking about the, uh, the end of the process. You know, the guys that make it are the guys that just try to get the breakfast. Yeah. Which makes a lot of sense. You know, you focus on what's in front of you at that particular moment. And I remember that when I was a player. I mean, my, my freshman year in college, you know, it was it was interesting because I'd gone from a completely different climate in Florida where it was, you know, 90 degrees every day to playing in Chicago and only playing one way. I mean, my senior year in high school, seven out of our 10, 10 games, I didn't come off the field for one play. Mm. I mean, I was on every special team, every uh, defensive snap, every offensive snap. Now I go to college and I think, man, this is a piece of cake. But the intensity is so much different at the college level. I mean, it's a to totally different, totally different deal, and that's what I had to adapt to, you know, when I went to uh, when I went to college, and I think that's what these guys have to adapt to is, you're out on the field for two hours. I mean, you're out on the field for an hour and a half, but when you're out on that field, 
I mean, you're, you're going. And that, that's one of the things that, that we try to use to set ourselves apart, you know, as we talk about, listen, this is the thing that we try to impress on our players and I try to impress on our players. There isn't a, a coach in America that doesn't talk about character. Okay, they're, they're no, nobody's going to bring in a group of recruits and say, hey, hey parents, we, we just don't care about character here. You know, I mean, everybody talks about character. Everybody talks about effort. Everybody talks about working hard in the weight room. Everybody talks about, you know, practicing, you know, with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. And every, everybody talks about these things, right? But it's the execution, right, that's the, the challenge. It's actually living out that message, you know? And, and that's the, the thing that I try to get our guys to understand sets our program apart. You know, like I hope that if you, you were to come out and watch a football practice at Randolph-Macon, like you're like, this is different. This is different. I'll tell you a story. When I was at, at Washington University, I don't know if you know who uh, Jackie Joyner-Kersey is. Sure, yeah. Olympian, okay? Yeah. I tell the story every year at camp because I still get goosebumps thinking about it. We're having a, a camp, a kid's camp at Washington University, okay? High school kids. And we had like 200 kids at this camp. And the camp's going on in the middle of our football field, which is surrounded by a track. And then the other part of the camp is on a field right across, you know, you, you basically walk across a track and there's another field there, okay? There isn't one kid, not one kid, at that camp who has any flipping clue who Jackie Joyner Kersey is. I'll be honest with you, at that point, I don't know that it's Jackie Joyner Kersey, okay? But she comes out there with, I think it's her husband, Bob Kersey was her trainer, okay? And these kids are going. I mean, we're, we're doing drills and we're, we're doing all kinds of things. I mean, that camp is hopping. I mean, it's hopping. And she warms up, all right, everybody keeps doing what they're doing. And then she starts sprinting around the track okay and I'll tell you what when she started sprinting around the track everybody just stopped I mean everybody and everybody's like holy frick because they know they're seeing something different than they've ever seen before you know and I always tell that story I'm like if somebody comes out here and they're watching our practice and they can't see and feel and hear a demonstrable difference between what's going on out here and what's going on at every other college football field in America. I don't care if it's Virginia, Alabama. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Okay, if you can't tell the difference, then we're not, we're not doing it the right way. Is that about focus, intensity, something else? I think it's about living the message, you know, because once again, you know, talking about character, I mean, that's easy. You know, I mean, we all have good intentions, right? Talking about character, talking about hard work. I mean, talking about all these integrity. I mean, I mean, when nothing's on the line, it's easy, you know, but let's be honest. And I tell the guys this all the time. When it comes to integrity, there's no sliding scale, right? You either have it. Yeah, it's binary. Or you don't. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, to me, it's, you know, hey, look, we've got these T-shirts and we put these slogans on these T-shirts. Like, is that just a slogan on a T-shirt or is that something that you're actually living out? Like, is that really happening in our program? Are you, are you living that message? If you're not, then, you know, you, you've got a little bit of 
self-evaluating and self-reflecting to do. So I think that's the difference. I think it's just hard. And like I said, it's human nature because you get up in the morning and again, that seventh day of camp, you're not jumping out of bed in the morning and saying, all right, let's go. You know, you're not doing that. You know, when you've carried the ball 30 times in the game and you've got to carry it a 31st time, you know, yeah. I mean. 130 kids. Do you yep. dress 130 kids? For home games, we do. Okay. If they're healthy, if they've done what we've asked them to do up to that point. Is that unusually large for a, a Division not, not, three team? Not really, because, I mean, there's some that carry more and a few that carry a little bit fewer than that. I mean, our, our average roster is probably about 120 to 125 guys. It if you look like at Virginia Tech's roster, they probably carry, you know, they have 85 scholarship players and then their walk-ons. They're not too far off. Okay. Yeah. Uh, your program when you started 18 years ago versus your program now, how has it changed? I just think it's the, it's the character of the, the kids in the program. Totally different. I mean, the expectations are different. I think that when I went there, the, the kids thought they were working hard. They thought they were going about things the right way. And uh, now we've just got a different – it's the culture. Totally different culture, totally different attitude, totally different mindset, the accountabilities at a totally different level. And the expectation is that, you know, we're going to win and we're going to win the right way. So it's, it's just different. It's night and day. I can't even begin to compare the two. What about this upcoming the season has you uh, really excited? I mean, I think every, every season has me excited, to be honest with you, because I, I just I, – I love the, the – cha- every year is a different year. You're starting over every year. You know, so we, we played our, our season in the spring. It was totally different, okay? And, uh, you know, we went 5-0, and oh, you know, won, won the conference championship. It was uh, – beat Emory and Henry in, uh, in overtime. It was, it was awesome. And uh, it was great to be able to play in the spring, just kind of – kept our focus away from all the other nonsense that was going on, you know. And, uh, you know, when you were out there on that field, you actually felt like, man, things are normal, you know. But, you know, I, we, we won in overtime, you know, big dog pile in the end zone. You know, we took pictures. We celebrated. I gave the guys a week off because I thought they needed it mentally. I needed a mental week off. Um, then we came back and first team meeting that we had, a week after the championship, I said, hey, we're starting over again, you know, because every year you've got a whole new group of freshmen and uh, it's a different team, you know. This, this next team is Team 134, so it's the 134th team in the history of the college. Mm. Wow. So Team 134 <clears throat> going to be totally different than Team 133. And I've seen that, man, I've seen that dynamic – from year to year, I really have. I saw it when I was in college at Wheaton. Totally every year, I can still feel the difference between the team that I played on my freshman year and the team I played on my sophomore year and the team I played on my junior year. It's like palpable, even to this day, I can still feel what it was like to be a part of those teams. And you know, every year you've got to reestablish you know, your leadership and you've got to develop great chemistry. You got to work at those things. You got to be intentional about those things. I mean, you have to, if you want to be good at anything, I think you have to be really intentional about it. You can't just say, well, you know, I'm going to be a good dad. I'm going to be a good, I mean, you got to like, I mean, you got to commit yourself to those things and you got to have a plan. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing. You can't just show up and hope that you have great leadership Mm -hmm. and hope 
that you have great chemistry and hope that, you know, everything works out. You do that, you're asking for disaster. You have to, you have to plan, you have to live the plan, and then you have to adjust the plan as necessary. No doubt. Uh, you mentioned platoons earlier. Um, how big is a platoon? I think it varies anywhere from 8 to 12 guys. So every, every freshman has a mentor, upperclassman mentor. I mean, that, that's something that we do to help build leadership on our team and to give, give our guys a, some skin in the game. Like, hey, you've got this freshman. You're responsible for teaching him about the program, teaching him about the values of the program, and just showing him the way. Mentors, that, sorry, mentors are typically sophomores or seniors. Mentors are sophomores, juniors, and seniors. All the above. Yeah, all the best of the best. Best guys in our program are our mentors, and then we pick twelve platoon leaders, and you know they draft they draft their platoons. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's that's fun, right? Oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. And so you you know you're a part of a platoon in the summer. You're part of a different platoon during the fall. Okay, then you're part of a different platoon in the spring and we do it that way to build cohesion and to build you know camaraderie and to build leadership and you know if a guy's not doing a good enough job of leading his platoon I, and we replace him we find somebody else that's going to do a better job and I, I think that's what you know in our program that's kind of how it works you know first you aspire you know to be a mentor you know then you aspire to be a platoon leader you know then you aspire to be a part of that really tight you know leadership council that i that i meet with once a week and then you aspire you know to be a a captain and that you know to me anybody that that's worth their salt is hopefully motivated to be all those things right is there some military in your background not not at all not at all no but i do have a a great appreciation for the military and the way they do things and the organization and the you know the, the the demands that they yeah they place on their their guys so let's take that away for a second um appreciate you answering that do you have what is your relationship with randolph macon basketball coach randolph macon baseball coach do you have a relationship i mean do you guys work together at all yeah we have really good relationships and you know starting with so when i came in in 04 mike rhodes was the head coach and uh mike is at vcu now mike and i are still really really good friends i still call mike and you know, we still talk and, you know, lean on each other for, for advice. And, you know, he, he's a really, really good good guy. And that's kind of carried over with all the other coaches. But Josh, Josh Merkel's a, a great, great friend, somebody that – I mean, I spent a lot of time talking to Josh. Yeah. I mean, he and I are really good friends. And, you know, Ray Hedrick's our baseball coach. He and I came in the same year. He does a tremendous job. That's cool. You know, with a baseball, uh, baseball program. And, you know, Carol LaHaye just retired as our uh, – basketball women's basketball coach she was awesome i was you know good friends with carol and again she and i would talk a lot pick each other's brains pick each other's yeah, brains and that's cool it's a it's a good network of uh of coaches yeah you know, there are a lot a lot that's of really good. good coaches on the staff and good staff to be a part of so you said you just turned over several coaches on your staff well, where do you find coaches primarily well it's interesting before that at six of the eight coaches were coaches that had played for me at randolph macon okay. so we have Kind of a mix, but normally it's either a guy that's played for us or somebody that's played for somebody that I know. Okay. Or somebody that's worked for somebody that I know. Because I think that's important. I mean, in the hiring process, you have to hire people that you can trust and you have to hire people that 
you know, you know are going to be a good fit for your program. And you already vetted them. You have to. I mean, that's that's really really important. Oh, yeah. I mean, the hiring. It's just like recruiting. It's one of the most crucial things that you do. Oh yeah. The uh, twelve platoon leaders in the draft. There's a kid who gets drafted last. He does not know that, does he? Actually, sometimes they do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we do that. We've had you know we've had a whole group of guys in an auditorium. We obviously couldn't do that with COVID, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, hey, pick these guys, I, and you you know I want guys to see where where they're uh, where they're being ranked and where they're being picked. I mean, listen, I. I did this last year when we came back for the J term. I said, here's what I want you guys to do, okay? We're going to send out a survey monkey, okay? And you guys are going to rank the guys in your class from one to however many guys are in your class. One being the guy that you think represents the ideals of this football program more than anybody else. All the way to the bottom guy, okay? And we did that, and I thought the results were accurate, really accurate. You know, one of the things we talk about, it's something that I stole from, uh, you know, a guy named uh, Tim Kite, and uh, Urban Meyer does a lot of uh, work with him, and some of their podcasts are unbelievable in terms of just the, the knowledge and the breadth of just experience. I mean, they're, they're awesome. And, you know, one of the things that Urban Meyer talks about in his book is the 10-80-10 principle. It's something that you know, most of us know about, you know, on, in every organization, you've got the top 10%, the elite of the elite, you know, you got those middle 80 percenters. I mean, those guys kind of form the backbone of your program and, and they're good guys. Those 80 percenters, they're really good. They just do not burn as hot as the guys that are the top 10 percenters. Okay. And then you've got the bottom 10 percenters. And, you know, interestingly enough, when you ask guys to rank each other, the bottom 10 percenters are usually the same guys that we as coaches would say, yep, those are the bottom, you know, bottom 10 percenters. Yeah. So I think it's important for guys to see that when we have uh, grade point averages come out, I have a coach on my staff. I'm like, here are the grade point averages. I'm like, post them, post the rankings. Now we can't post their GPAs because the school would probably, I mean, listen, if they knew we did that, they'd probably have a problem with the rankings, but we do it anyways. We don't put their GPAs on there, but hey, you're number one, you're number 120, okay? If you don't like it, then do, do something, something about, about it. it. You know, I asked a kid a couple of years ago, great kid from Hermitage, Jordan Rochester. He was one of the worst students on our team. His background was not great coming in. Okay, awesome kid, awesome kid. And he went from being one of the lowest guys to being one of the top guys in like two semesters. And we do it every semester. So you have an opportunity to redeem yourself every semester. And I said to him, because he had been at the bottom for, you know, a couple, couple semesters, maybe three semesters. And I'm like, what, what changed? Like, what, what happened here? And he's like, I just got tired of seeing my name at the bottom of the list. Yeah, motivated. I'm like, hey, yeah. you know, some guys... They never get tired of seeing their name at the bottom of the list. They, they just don't care enough, you know. And those are the guys that, you know, when it's fourth and one, you don't want out on the field. So you got to find out who those guys are, you know, yeah. who the guys are that when it's fourth and one, you, you want out there and guys that you just don't want to mess with in those situations. Yeah, my twist on the 10-80-10 uh, concept is there are 10% that are going to be amazing no matter how good or bad you are as a coach. 
Uh, there's 10% that are going to be trash no matter how good you are as a coach. And then the 80 in the middle, that's where you have great seasons or you don't have great seasons. Yeah, I agree with that. But I, I also think that, you know, as a coach, you know, and I, I think it's part of the reason I got into coaching, you hope that those bottom 10 percenters, because I've seen it happen before. And Urban Meyer talks about it. He's like, a lot of these kids, unfortunately, they do not change. They do not change. But your hope is always that. You don't know who a, they are, right? You don't know who they are. And, and listen, the older I get, the, the less tolerance I have for adults and the more tolerance <laughs> I have for kids because kids are kids. They can change. Yeah. You know, I mean, and I think anybody can change. But I think that as you get older, you get a little bit more set in your ways. And I think kids have the potential. That, the Sorry. Yeah. Kids always have the potential to change. I and feel I, the same way. Yeah. You hope that somehow the, the lights come on, you know, and that something happens to, you know. I, I had a kid last year that, you know, during the pandemic, we kept meeting over Zoom. You know, we do a leadership series in the spring where I read a book with every class. Uh, so I read a class with a, fresh, a book with a freshman class, a book with a sophomore class, a book with a junior class. And the book that we read with a freshman class is called Who You Are When No One's Looking. It's a character-based book, different character trait every week. And I had a kid that was going into a senior year last year and during the pandemic, like met once a week and we read the same book that he had read when he was a freshman. And he's like, coach, I didn't get this. Like I did not get this at all when I was a freshman. So, you know, do you give up on that kid? You know, you can't, you can't, you can't. Everybody always talks about, you know, you got you to gotta change the behavior. The point of discipline is to change the behavior. The point of, you know, everything that you do is to change their behavior. And I would argue that the point is not to change their behavior because you can change your behavior without changing your heart, right? The, 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 the objective is to try to change their hearts and to win their hearts over because once you win their hearts over and once their hearts change, then, then, you, then you really have lasting, lasting change, right? And that's what, we're, that's what we're doing as educators, the behavior's genuine then, not just... Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I'm not big, you know, I, I was talking to a player in my office today, and he's like, I'm going to follow the rules. I'm going to follow the rules. I'm like, I don't... Dude, you're, you're missing the point here. This isn't about rules. And I always know when I've got a guy that's not getting it, when I feel like I've just got to lay out, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. Or, hey, if you do this, this is the consequence. Come on. That tells me I've recruited the wrong guy, you know? They're kids, but they're also young adults. No doubt. No doubt. And to me, it's, it's about expectations. It's about a kid having the want to, to do right, you know? And you got a chance. But if a guy's going to shut you off and it's going to be all about – because if it comes down to rules, what, what's it always going to be about? It's always going to be about how close can I get to that line without cl- – you know – crossing over that line it's human nature i mean we all do that to a certain extent right but if the focus is on the rules that's what you're going to do how close can i get to that line yeah you're not being sincere in your gaming no doubt yeah no doubt all right 18 years i I can make some guesses about why you've been here 18 years but uh why have you been here so long i love i love i love virginia i mean that's one thing I, i think this is a great great state I mean, I've never, never been any place where every other place that I've lived, I thought, I'm a pretty adaptable guy. I mean, I, I've liked everywhere that I've lived, but I've never lived at a place where I said, hey, I could be here forever. 
and Virginia is definitely, and I'm not saying I'm going to be here forever, but Virginia is definitely like, especially Ashland. I think it's an unbelievable community. I, I love, I love living in Ashland. Like there, there, are, there are very few days. I can't think of a day when I woke up where I said, said to myself, man, I can't believe I'm living in Ashland, Virginia. I, I love living in Ashland. So I think that location is, is a huge, is a huge thing. And then uh, the other thing that I, that I would say is the, the players that we've been able to attract to play at Randolph-Macon, I'm not sure. I've always loved the kids everywhere that I've been, but it's been awesome. Like, I just think we're able to attract incredible kids here, and I think they're the main reason that I've stayed. It's just been been, been awesome. I, lo- I love coaching these kids. They're, they're really good kids, and you know, they're not perfect, and not every kid that we've ever recruited is – you know, been a great fit for the program, but overall it's been a, a really good fit. You know, I think the school's been a good fit for me. The kinds of players that we're able to attract here have been a good fit. It, it's been good from that standpoint. Let's talk about your family. Okay. How many kids do you have? Three. Three. What are their ages? So my, my oldest is uh, Owen. He's 19. He plays for us at uh, randolph Macon. Oh, he plays for Dad. Yes. Wow. <laughs> yes. Are you a little bit tougher on Owen? Uh, he would say so. I would say that's not necessarily <laughs> accurate. Uh, I've got a 19, or I'm sorry, so 19-year-old son, Owen, uh, 17-year-old daughter, Ella, and uh, 14-year-old son, Will. Okay. Is Will going to play for Dad someday? Uh, you'll have to ask him that. He said, he said Dad, I might, I might consider that if Nick Saban doesn't offer me a scholarship. So uh, I've got some <laughs> stiff competition. <laughs> hey, you, and you wouldn't be upset if Nick Saban offered him a scholarship. Uh, no, not at all. Not at all. But I, I've, I've been married to my wife, Kara, for 24-plus years. So this, this year we'll celebrate our 25th anniversary. Congrats. Week. Congrats. That's awesome. I appreciate that. So she was 20 when we got married. I was 22. So we were very young. <laughs> nice. I was uh, not ready to get married when I was 22. Yeah, heck no. <laughs> heck no. Wow. Well, we've kind of grown up together. It's been, it's been great. That's so, cool. Will's into football. What else is Will into? I'm sorry, Owen. Owen is into Owen's into football. Will's into football. You know, Ella plays uh, field hockey and soccer. So, they're all, all athletic. That's what fun, position? right? It is. It is. What position Owen play? Owen's a defensive end. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, I, I never, you know, I never push the kids to – play football I, I just told them hey got to do something and you got to pick a different sport every season you can't just focus on one yeah, one thing I, I like multiple multi-sport athletes and so they've they've always done a lot of different things they played basketball they played soccer they played you know, awesome. a little bit of baseball you uh, mentioned wrestling growing up uh, what was it about wrestling that you liked wrestling was something so when I was in high school in Florida we didn't actually have wrestling it was just something that the uh, headmaster at the school that I was coaching at said, "Hey, you know, you need to do this." And so it was one of my my other duties. I was an English I was an English teacher, football coach, assistant wrestling coach, assistant baseball coach. Oh, got it. So I had never wrestled. You look like a guy who would enjoy wrestling. I think I would have loved it, but uh, we never had that at my high school. Was that a Florida thing, or is that a your? Yeah, F- Florida wasn't. It wasn't a real big wrestling state a lot of the schools down there didn't have wrestling hmm. so I, I still don't think a lot of them do I mean I think it's a little bit bigger but not you know I mean you're outdoors a lot I mean there's basketball is a big deal down there you know basketball and baseball and football and soccer was also 
during basketball season. So I think that took away a lot of the uh, the athletes. So, but you're coaching at that academy, a team sport, then an individual sport, and then another team sport. Was that an adjustment for you as a coach? Uh, not really. Not really. I mean, I, I just, yeah, I think you did probably a little bit more one-on-one stuff with, with the kids in wrestling. But, I mean, it, I handled a lot of the, the lifting stuff and, you know, learned a lot from the guy that was the head coach. And I was just working with kids. Was, I was an English teacher too, so. Was camaraderie the, the same on, on a wrestling team? No, definitely not. I mean, it wasn't the same. It was a different sport. I mean, you know. I think unless you've grown up with that and that's your sport and you totally get the – it's a totally different culture. I mean, that that's – you know, wrestling has its own different culture and very different than yeah. anything that I've ever – those guys are a different breed. I mean, I have a ton of, ton of respect for, you know, what they do. I mean, you know, grew up listening and learning from Dan Gable, you know, the, the longtime coach at Iowa. Yeah. And, you know, I always admired those guys and – think those guys do a tremendous job but you know that was that was just something that I did did in the off season to help out the the wrestling coach gotcha what do you do for fun I like to read a lot reading is kind of a passion of mine so I I mean I think really the two passions that I have outside of football are you know my my uh well three passions really my 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 family you know my faith and then reading I love to read what do you read now got a, a lot of different things going on right now i mean i, I i've got uh i'm finishing up kevin eastman's book i don't know if you guys know kevin he's eastman. been on the podcast yeah. has he yeah. yeah yeah so he he was on a, a different zoom meeting that i was a part of and and listened to him so i was a little bit intrigued by by him and had heard a lot of things about him he was at randolph making for one year as the that's agent. right yep that was yep. before i came so i'm finishing up his his book um I'm reading a book called The uh, The Power of Story by a guy named Jim Lair. Awesome book all about how we, you know, shape our stories and the choices that we make and, you know, the narratives that we frame. And I, it's fantastic. So those are the two that I'm that I'm finishing up right now. I, I've been reading. I, I was on vacation a couple of weeks ago at the beach and I read uh, Two of Pat Lencioni's books. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with mm. him. Business business guy, mm. leadership guy, fantastic writer. Uh, I love his stuff. He's okay. one of my favorite writers. And I, I reread one of the books that, that I've read from him before and read, read another one of his books. And yeah, there's another book that I that I was really found found fascinating. I've read it read it for the second time. It was a book that our basketball coach actually recommended to me. Uh, the Messiah Method. Messiah is a school, Christian school up in uh Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, and they, they are a powerhouse in Division Three soccer. They've won a ton of uh, ton of national championships there, both on the men's side and on the women's side. And I'm just fascinated by the culture they've been able to develop, very similar to the things that, yeah, I think all these cultures that, you know, you hear of that, that are great cultures have a lot of things in common. Uh, favorite book? Wow. So I'll give you I'll give you two um, in terms of uh, fiction. I was an English major, and so my favorite book of all time is The Brothers Karamazov okay. by uh, Dostoevsky. My favorite uh, business slash leadership type book, probably the the most impactful book that I've read, Good to Great by Jim Collins. 
Yeah, it's uh, I think Circuit City was in that book. That's the only uh, bummer yes. from that book. Great, <laughs> great book. Yeah, tremendous, tremendous book. A lot, lot of great lessons. Best. A lot of great lessons. In I went up to uh, I think it was in two thousand, spring of two thousand five. The the Wharton School of Business of the University of Pennsylvania had a leadership conference that I went to, and uh, he was the keynote speaker. He spoke for three hours, mm. and was far and away the most engaging speaker I've ever listened to. Just unbelievable. Three hours that just boom flew by. He's a great writer too. Great writer, great speaker. I mean. There are very few. I mean, when you when you hear some of these guys, I mean, interestingly enough, not not to get off on a tangent, but at a, at a coaching convention many many years ago, um, I, I don't even remember the year. It must have been in the early two thousands. I listened to Tom Osborne speak, and I don't know if you've ever heard him speak. Very very soft spoken, very very monotone. Um, I'd say some people would even classify him as boring. By far one of the most engaging guys I've ever listened to. Just fantastic. Even being monotone. Was unbelievable. Kept me on the edge of my seat the entire time. Thought wow. he was awesome. I mean, I just, I, I can rattle off in my, in, in my brain just guys that I've listened to over the years that have been just really impactful. R.C. Slocum was another guy, Texas A&M. Yeah. Head coach, listened to him. Um, listened to him speak at, uh, at a clinic down at the coaches convention one of the best quotes ever conviction driven leadership is based on a vision of perfection loved it i mean just still remember that i never forgot that stuck with you yeah conviction driven leadership is based on a vision of perfection just having a standard having a vision and trying to hold people to that so i thought he was he was awesome great great football coach have you thought about writing a book my wife says that I should sometime, but I think it'd mostly be plagiarized because I've read so many things and stolen so many things. <laughs> Wait a minute, was that my idea? <laughs> so many different guys. Yeah, but I love I love to read. That's kind of my passion. I love to I love to read. I love to think, and I think that's really important. I think it's one of the things I probably need to do a better job of is just to to set more time aside, you know, to to read and uh, to think, and uh, yeah, I always notice a difference when I do that. Yeah. Uh, do you feel comfortable talking about your journey to uh, to faith? Because faith is obviously very yeah, absolutely. Important. Yeah, so what? yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I think that yeah, I told you a little bit about you know my dad. You know, uh, took his life when I was seven years old. Uh, we moved to Miami, and I would say that after that happened, things really started unraveling our family. I mean, my mom had a really, really tough time with it and, uh, you know, really struggled with alcohol, really struggled with, uh, with drugs for, I would say the majority of her life. I mean, great, great lady, you know, taught me a lot of really, really good lessons, but, you know, passed away when she was 53 Mm. and just had a, just had a tough, tough life. I mean, just what was really a, a tough, tough deal with her. And so we, uh, we lived in Miami and, you know, like a lot of kids, I was a little bit, a uh, little bit lost. I mean, not, not just a little bit lost, but a lot lost. And, uh, you know, probably was not headed down, you know, the right path. I was starting to make some, some really bad choices. I, I would say that, you know, I w- was not a great kid. I mean, I, you know, I, I played sports. I, I made really good grades. So I think I got away with a lot just because I, you know, kind of put on that facade and, you know, the teachers 
thought I was charming and made good grades, but I, I was really headed, headed in, in the wrong direction in, in a lot of different ways. <clears throat> and, you know, seventh grade, I got involved with football. I think that had a very, very positive impact. I don't know, and I know for a fact, that would not have been enough to really change the course of my life. But in the eighth grade, <clears throat> we were having a lot of, uh, or right before my eighth grade year, we were having a lot of uh, issues at home. And my mom was, you know, she had a, a boyfriend that, you know, lived with us and they were having a lot of problems. And we moved to the Loxahatchee. And the closest public school was 45 minutes away. Twin Lakes High School, it was, I mean, Loxahatchee was in the middle of the country. And uh, so my mom said, you know, hey, we're gonna look at a couple of these you know, schools that are a little bit closer. One of them happened to be a private school, the King's Academy, it's 20 minutes away. And uh, so I went there in the eighth grade and I mean, that school just had a, an unbelievable impact. I mean, I'm, I'm so, you know, I still talk to my high school football coach, just talked to him yesterday, as a matter of fact, him and his wife both. But I am, I mean, eternally grateful for just the impact that that school and, and those teachers and listen, I went in there kicking and screaming. I did not, you know, want to have anything to do with Christianity, did not want anything to do with Christ. I mean, I was just very, very resistant to the message there when I went to, uh, to school there. And I literally went, I mean, I came home and told my mom one day, I said, it's interesting how football, you know, wove its way into this because I went home and told my mom one day, I don't want to go to the school anymore. I can't, I cannot handle it here. I don't like the message. I don't like the kids. Don't like what this place is about. And there's only one thing that kept me there. It's football. <laughs> I wanted to play football. <laughs> and the other option, my mom said, you can go to this other school, but that other school didn't have football. Mm. And the only thing that kept me there was I just really, really wanted to play. Wow. And so that, that's where it started. And I, I mean, I, I went to, to Wheaton College. That's where I played. And uh, that was a Christian school. And that was, you know, that was a, a whole thing in itself, you know. My, my freshman year in high school, I started on the varsity team. So running back in a free safety. And I thought that, I'm like, listen, if I can start on the varsity team as a freshman, I'm going to be able to go wherever I want. I mean, I had no clue. I was completely clueless. And so everybody asked me, where are you going to school? And I said, I'm, I'm going to Penn State to play for Joe Paterno. And so somebody said, well, listen, you got to have a backup plan. And I'm like, I do have a backup plan. Well, what's your backup plan? If that doesn't work out, I'm going to Notre Dame to play for Lou Holtz. <laughs> so I had it all figured out. And, you know, South Florida, as you, as you know, is, I mean, jam-packed with athletes. And there were a ton of good ones down there. And I think I was self-aware enough that by my junior year, I said, I don't think Penn State's going to work out. And I don't think that, you know, Miami, Florida, Florida State are going to be calling anytime soon. So, I, you know, I made good grades. Um, I was the salutatorian in my high school class, so I started to think, okay, what's going to be the best uh, track here? And I, I remember back to what my 
seventh grade football coach said. He said, you can go play at an Ivy League school. So I thought, why not do that? So I got recruited by Harvard and Dartmouth and all the Patriot League schools and, you know, Princeton and all those, all those places. And so I decided you were allowed to take five paid visits. And I, it, some kids really enjoyed that process. I did not. I said, I'm going to pick four and, and leave it at that because middle of uh, baseball season, we started baseball a lot earlier in the recruiting process was a little bit different back then. And so I went to Columbia Ivy League school on, on a visit, said, no way I'm going to school in the middle of New York City. It was just like a culture shock for me. Went to Lehigh in Pennsylvania and visited up there. I liked that, but there was just something that didn't feel right. And then I went to Holy Cross. And when I left Holy Cross, I was convinced that that's where I was going to spend the next four years of my life. They were It was one double-A football. I wanted to always play Division One football. The guy that they had hired to replace the guy that had been recruiting me, so Mark Duffner was the head coach there, mm. had had tremendous success, won 60 games in a span of six years, averaging 10 wins a year, got hired to be the head coach at the University of Maryland. And so he left in the middle of the recruiting process, and a guy by the name of Peter Voss, who's had been the head coach at, uh, not the head coach, I'm sorry, the uh, well, the head coach at Allegheny at one point, but had been the uh, quarterback's coach at Notre Dame. He got hired to be the head football coach. And, you know, when I left there, I mean, I still remember walking to his office on a Sunday morning. It was snowing outside. I mean, it was, it was freezing cold. And I remember sitting in his office and him saying, hey, are you ready to, to commit? I mean, he really tried to push the envelope and, and get me to commit. And I, I said, look, I'm, I'm almost 100% sure that I'm coming here, but the guys at Wheaton, and the only reason I was even planning a visit to Wheaton was because my best friend from high school, Dean Dumay, went, went to school there the year before I did and was having an awesome experience. And so I got to know those coaches better than any of the other coaches. I established a rapport with them. Loved Coach Swatter. Coach Swatter could sell ice to an Eskimo, you know. And he just, he and I just had an incredible connection. I mean, still super close to this day. Well, I said to Coach Voss, these guys have already bought my ticket. I don't think I'm going to go there, but I have to go there with an open mind or that wouldn't, you know, be, be right. And I, you know, I really believe that, you know, your, your yes should be yes and your no should be no and that you should honor your word. So I went to, uh, to Wheaton the next weekend and I just knew that's that's where I needed to be. And I knew the only thing that was keeping me from going to Wheaton <clears throat> was my ego a little bit, you know, because now, you know, as I say to a lot of kids now when they come in for visits, the pressure right now is immense on social media. I didn't have that pressure, right? We didn't have social media. But I would go to the lunch table every day and, and the guys were, where are you looking, you know? Who's recruiting you? You know, who's interested? You know? And I had good options, you know, really good options. The guys at UCF, UCF at that point, Central Florida was one double A. And they recruited me really, really hard. And uh, they, you know, they wanted me to, to, to walk on, but they said, hey, look, we are, we're not scholarshipping a running back this year, but, you know, we feel like you can come in here. You know, all the same stuff that you hear from a lot of a lot of these schools, but I, you know, I had good options. I could have walked on at a lot of really good Division One schools. I had these Ivy League and Patriot League options, but you know, I just knew that Wheaton 
you know, was, was going to be the best fit. And the, the fact that it was a Christian school was certainly a factor in my, my decision. I, I, after growing up in the kind of house that I grew up in, I just did not want to be around, you know, that, that party scene for the next four years of college. Just didn't want to have any part in it. When, when did you know you were a Christian? Oh, I mean, I think for sure in the eighth grade. I, mean, I think that's when, when things clicked. Lucky you had uh, certain folks in your life. There's no, qu- there's no question about it. There's no question about it. It's, it's amazing when you look back. I mean, and, and yeah, I'd like to think that these things happened the way that, <laughs> that I remember them happening. But, yeah, there's so many different moments in my life where I remember, yeah, this coach said this to me or this teacher said this to me. And, I mean, it's amazing how. Yeah, one, one thing that's interesting, too, is, like, I'll tell you one thing. This guy in the seventh grade, uh, Coach LeMay, that guy, uh, he was no joke. I mean, he, he, he was probably the toughest guy. I mean, he was a construction worker. He loved football. He played uh, quarterback, was a left-handed quarterback at a junior college. I mean, he was a lunch pail guy, blue-collar guy, cussed like a sailor. I mean, came in every day with a, with a metal, you know, lunch pail that he – put his lunch in every every day and he sat on that lunch pail and you know called roll and I mean he was a rough 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 dude but it was just incredible the way that God used that guy who I don't know if that guy was a Christian I mean certainly based on the way he talked I'm not (laughs) sure maybe not but I mean God used that guy I mean and, and I still remember things that he said to me and I still remember that I mean he he just instilled an incredible passion and just an incredible level of discipline and tough. And, and yeah, I'll tell you the one thing that I, that I always remember. I mean, this guy, he was so hard, so hard, but he knew how to encourage you. You know what I mean? Like he, he just knew what to say to you and, and how to say it to you. And, you know, he could tear you down, but man, he could, that guy could just build you up like, like, nobody else he was there to have a positive impact he was there he was there to have a great impact and he and he had a great impact and I think that he you know I think that he was a guy that God you know specifically put you know in my life and and especially at that time at a time when I I like I said I was lost I mean I was just not in a good place I mean I was in as bad a place as you can be and headed to a worse place what's uh coach LeMay's first name Al we're gonna to try to track him down with uh, our crack research. We staff. gotta figure that. <laughs> I, I've I've looked before and I don't know where he's living. He's you know I don't know if he's still in Florida. I still don't know. I don't know if he's alive. But the guy was unbelievable. I mean he had he had an enormous impact. You and know. Now you get to be the one making the impact. Yeah, I mean if I can make half the impact that some of these guys made on my life, it, I mean they, they're just I, I've just been very very fortunate to you know have some unbelievable you know it's sad I was talking to coach Bishop you know I told you was the head my head coach at Wheaton he's not doing well he's in hospice care right now and I Mm -hmm. talked to him the other day he's not doing well he's struggling with dementia and I I mean man the thing I miss the most about him is just for the last several years he hasn't been in a good place mentally and I I used to be able to call him about anything Mm -hmm. and I can't do that anymore yeah you know, hey, I'm having this issue with my my kids or my wife or my job or, <clears throat> you know, he was just a, 
a guy that I could call about anything. You know, Coach Schwider's like that. I still talk to Coach Schwider. I mean, I, I went back to Chicago over uh, Thanksgiving break, and I spent four hours, you know, in Coach Schwider's house just shooting the breeze the day before, you know, Thanksgiving. But I, I've been very, very fortunate, very fortunate. I mean, God's put some amazing people in in my life, and, you know, my wife's been unbelievable. I, I, I just got very, very lucky, you know, when I found her and, you know, I've just been, been very blessed in so many different ways. Uh, are your kids going to listen to this? I'm not sure. Right, I'm so not sure. Let's you say know, someday they listen so, to it. Someday, someday. What's the uh, one life lesson you want to pass on? I've thought about this a lot. I think that, you know, when you're young, there's a lot of stuff that you're chasing, okay? And it's one of the my, – my favorite, my favorite book in probably both the New Testament and the Old Testament is the book of Ecclesiastes, okay? And I, I'm not sure that they know exactly who wrote it, but I, a lot of people think it was uh, Solomon, right? one of the wisest guys and wisest men that ever lived. And, and, and it was a guy that had everything. I mean, had, you know, every, everything that he could have, that a man could have at his disposal. All the riches in the world, great places to live, you know, hundreds of wives. I mean, everything. I mean, and, and he says in the book of Ecclesiastes, at the conclusion of his life, he's like, I denied myself nothing right? Like anything that I could have chased in this world, none of those things did I deny myself. And he says, and the conclusion is that it's all meaningless, mm -hmm. you know? But there's, there's a, a, a verse, I think in chapter 12, where he says, so what's the conclusion of the matter? And he says, the conclusion of the matter is love God and keep his commandments for that is the whole duty of man. So I think if I had a piece of advice for my kids, it would be that. I think that, you know, life, all the stuff that you're chasing, you know, all the trophies, all the championships, you know, all the things that we think just matter so much, just none of those things mean anything if you don't have a relationship with God, if you don't have a relationship with, with Christ. I think that's what ultimately gives life meaning and and there's no better no better way to say it than the way that the the author of ecclesiastes frames it right love god and keep his commandments for that's the whole you know duty of man so that's how i would sum it up you know it, it's it's hard you know life life is hard and you know every 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 time you do something that you think is man this is it this is what i've lived my whole life for you figure out it's just still something missing. And I tell my kids all the time, the only thing that can ever fill those gaps is our relationship with Christ, a relationship with God. It's a good place to end yeah. it, Pedro. Appreciate it. Do you want to ask, you're going to, how do you transition to your question? You don't after that, by the way. Um, all right, go ahead. Maybe we should take a moment of silence because that was awesome. So usually our last question is, you're Jimmy Fallon. Tonight, Jimmy Fallon's sick, you're taking over. You can have a male guest, a female guest, and a music group. And we've also added in comedian if you want to do that. But wow. male guest, female guest, they, music they group. Be, they can be alive or dead. Alive or dead, 
you go for whoever you want, whether you want ratings, you want your show, whatever it is. You you may know them personally. You may not know them personally. Yep. Wow, that is that is a tough, tough question. <laughs> Got to limit yourself to th- three answers here. Three guests. Yeah. Three guests. <laughs> That's really tough. I mean, I would say that, you know, if we're talking about guys that are in the coaching profession, I, I love – I love Bill Belichick. Mm. I think that guy is intriguing. Yeah. And very successful. And very successful. I think Nick Saban's – yeah, I know you told me one guy. You got to pick, those you gotta guys, pick one day, <laughs> Those guys are cut out of the same mold. But, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe a guy like, like Bill Belichick. I mean, it's hard to, hard to pin me down on this because, you know, we, I mentioned Jim Collins. You know, I'll tell you what, I, I might even pick – Jim Collins, so you're going to have a hard time, you know, pinning me down on this. And, you know, as far as a, a female, boy, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think. You can say your wife is a safe answer. You know <laughs> oh, just to interview. I mean, I, 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 you know, there's no, there's no other, you know, woman I'd rather be around for sure. But, yeah, let's say my wife. But musician, I've always loved uh, James Taylor. Mm. Wow, that's Yeah, a good I one. like James Taylor a lot. It's a great pick. That's a good so. answer, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I just have a lot of a lot of different interests. So you know, it's hard to to really no, like good. you know that's pin good. it down to, to a couple people. Yeah, oh, not that I'm answering for you, but Jim Collins sounds like a great answer because uh, yeah. he's meant a lot to you. Yeah, yeah. I think the thing about uh, Belichick that's intriguing is just the the way that he's able to you know just kind of implement a a college culture right at that professional level that's tough to do guys are making that much money it's tough in. it's yeah. tough it's tough to get guys to buy in when they're making that kind of money but he he makes it happen every time he makes it happen and he keeps guys like uh slater around for forever because he's he's the culture guy that yeah. belichick loves interesting because i think he caught a lot of flack this year for you know not being as good i thought he probably had one of his better years in coaching i thought that what they were able to do, the way they were able to stay in games. I mean, I thought he did a pretty darn good job. You made me think of him earlier when you were talking about the, the first player uh, that you couldn't figure out a position for. You made me think of Julian Edelman, who is somebody that Belichick brings in. He's like, you know, he's got this talent, but not going to be our quarterback. You know, where do we put him? Yeah. And he turned him into a potential Hall of Famer. Yeah, Belichick's, Belichick's a guy, you know, Nick Saban, Bill Belichick. I mean, those guys are just I – mean, I don't know if you guys saw the HBO special where those guys went back and forth. Yeah. Very, very intriguing. Just love the way they think about the game and the way they think about, you know, players. And, yep. You know, it's, fa- it's fascinating. They figured it out. There's no question. They have. <laughs> yeah. They have. Very cool. Pedro, thanks for joining us. I really I appreciate, appreciate it. Uh, I should mention our connection is through Rob Dull. Uh, Rob is sitting here. Um, we started calling him Silent Rob because he, <laughs> he, he takes notes. But uh, That's awesome. Great, great having you here, Pedro. Yep. Great thanks hearing for having story. you. Appreciate, appreciate it. it a lot. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com.